Hello, pet lovers. Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt, and this show is brought to you by the law offices of Hoyt and Bryan, where we create estate plans for pets and their people. Animal Care Trust USA, a national not-for-profit dedicating to helping pet parents keep loved pets in loving homes, and Pet Connect, an app for pet lovers. We're so happy that you're here today, and uh, I can't wait to introduce you to our special guest. Her name is Melissa Jenkins, and she is the program coordinator at Operation Catnip, located in Gainesville, Florida. Welcome, Melissa. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I'm really excited to um, have an opportunity to talk about Operation Catnip and the things that are going on there, and um, and just teaching people about um, community cats and working cats and cats in general. Love it. Okay. So start by telling us a little bit about the history of uh, Operation Catnip. Sure. So Operation Catnip was birthed by Dr. Julie Levy um, in 1998. She actually started the program up in Raleigh, North Carolina, and um basically made her own version of it when she moved down here to Florida. Um, so in 2018, we celebrated 20 years of catnip um, and about 55,000 cats spayed and neutered through the program over the years. Um, and it started out as an all volunteer organization and has grown to um, we now have a staff of four full-time and one part-time, um, and we still rely on a very large number of volunteers, especially at our monthly clinics um, at the university, which can um, facilitate about 100-plus volunteers. Wow, that's amazing. That's a lot of volunteers. Yes. <laughs> um, so do you, is one of your full-time people a uh, volunteer coordinator? Because it sounds like you yes. would need one. Yes. <laughs> Yes, we have one volunteer coordinator, um, and she is in charge of keeping track of their hours. Um, a lot of them are vet students that are going through the program to um, hone their surgical and clinical skills. And so keeping track of how long it takes them to do surgeries, um, that's all data that we like to collect um, to help assist them with their growth. Yes, and that is great because that gives them an opportunity to uh, get some real-world experience while they're still students. Yes, there aren't a lot of opportunities um, for that, so we're very proud to be able to offer that. Um, a lot of that students can graduate with um, just one or two surgeries under their belt, and so those that go through our program can have upwards of hundreds of surgeries um, to their name, and that makes them very well prepared and qualified for the, um, you know, the real world when they're seeing our, our pets and the shelter and unknown pets of the world as well. Well, and hopefully that gives them a heart, too, for continuing that good volunteer work that they are doing while they're in school. We do hope that, and, you know, the idea, too, is that if they were to go to private practice somewhere and, you know, a client walked in with a cat in a trap and said, listen, I trapped this cat. I really want to get it fixed. 
they they can just go, oh, that's no problem, and get their team ready to take care of that cat and have it sent back um, and do TNR through their programs, through their practices as well. Well, and there is something different about doing um, feral cats, um, handling a feral cat and yeah. having them come <laughs> into your clinic because, um, oh, yes. you know, they're not going to sit in your lap and let you pet them. No. Um, so talk to us a little bit about the definition of a feral cat. So feral cat to us um, has to do with behavior. Um, we typically call the cats community cats um, okay. because we, we care about where they live geographically. Um, if they're free roaming outdoor cats, um, they qualify for our program. Um, it's not for, it's not for pet cats. Um, it's not for, you know, cats that are, specifically owned, microchipped, adopted by one single person. Um, the, the term feral, we, we attach to a community cat that is unsocialized, unhandleable. Um, there are many community cats that are quite friendly um, simply by having exposure to humans from a young age. Um, it's very rare to have a community cat that only has one location where they spend their time or where they eat their food. So many of the cats actually are, um, are quite on the friendly side. And so it, it really doesn't matter to us what they do behaviorally. Um, we kind of go by a, uh, every one of these cats is, uh, would rather not be poked and prodded. We kind of treat everybody with the same sort of hands-off method. Um, but in, in general, we, we just care that they're living outside and they're adding to a breeding population. So the goal ultimately for people that might not be familiar with um, some of this terminology. So talk about um, TNR, but the, the idea is to um, bring these cats into a clinic and um, sterilize them, either spay or neuter, and then take them back to where they came from. Correct. So... Our program is kind of unique in that we arm the public with the tools to be their own trapper and their own cat advocate. So a lot of TNR programs kind of rely on one or two individuals, um, whether staffed or volunteered by that particular organization. Um, and, you know, it's great to have one or two people who are very experienced and really know what they're doing with trapping. But most of these cats um, already have a relationship with the person who's feeding them and are, are much more likely to trust and go into a trap when the person who is putting it down and putting bait into it is someone that they know. Um, so we kind of harness that opportunity. Um, we have an inventory of about 700 traps, and we loan those out to members of the public so that when somebody calls and says that there's a community cat that they feed, um, we ask them to actually come and do the trapping themselves, get the cat into the trap and bring it to one of our clinics, take it home and recover it, uh, and return it to where they found it. Um, it really highlights the fact that these cats are cared for and loved by people, um, and it increases our chances of success because uh, these cats have a lot of stranger danger, and when 
someone, even the most experienced trapper, shows up, sometimes it takes a long time to earn the trust of a cat. And time is something that organizations with very small staff numbers um, don't have a lot of. Um, And so it's very impactful that we're able to get the community on board in helping with that very time-consuming part of it so that we can really focus heavily on getting high numbers of cats sterilized and hosting high numbers of clinics. Sure. Okay. So TNR traditionally, I guess, meant trap, neuter, and release. And now I think, aren't people using it more trap, neuter, and return? Correct. Um, because the the idea of simply releasing the cat um, and, and not returning it to the exact place it was found kind of gives the indication that it's okay to relocate a cat without acclimating it. Um, and that's, that's not something that we advocate for. If you put a cat in a location that it's not familiar with, it doesn't know where to get food, water, or shelter, um, and it puts it at, at a heavy risk. So it's very important that the cats are returned as opposed to simply released back outside. Okay. I think that's good advice um, because I, I think there might be a misconception about that and that we don't just turn them loose wherever. Um, yeah. I, ha- I have a little experience with some of this only because I live in the country and I will occasionally come across a, um, a community type cat who has moved into our neighborhood either by mm-hmm. its own free will or somebody dropped it there. And, um, inevitably they end up with kittens and then I seem to come across their path and then try to, um, capture the mommy if that's at all possible so that I can, Mm -hmm. um, get her spayed and then released or get the kittens, um, spayed if, if they're old enough. Um, but I have had, uh, different, uh, varieties of success. Some, I've had some cats that have lived with me throughout their lifetime, others that took one look at me after a uh, period of trying to socialize them and basically said, yeah, thanks for letting me out and see you later. (laughs) Um, some, um, we didn't get that far down the road, but, uh, you know, there's, there's always going to be success stories and then there's always going to be those cats that no matter, um, how nice you might be, they are not going to trust you. Sure. Yeah. And with, with the numbers of cats that there are outside, um, it's, it's definitely something where those that we, those that can be socialized, um, you know, we always encourage um, caregivers. A lot of times they'll say, I, I've seen this cat and it's, it's pretty friendly and I'd like to adopt it as a pet. And they kind of ask us permission, especially if it's ear tipped. Um, right. So we, you know, we let them know that just because it's a near tip cat, it, it doesn't mean it, it has any ownership. Um, but certainly these, these cats are quite bonded to the places where they go to eat and stay. And so um, if you ever find an outdoor cat that's especially friendly and you're thinking about adopting it, um, I always recommend putting up flyers first, door knocking your neighbors and getting the cat scanned for a chip just to make sure that you're not, um, you know, taking a cat from someone who maybe used a TNR program to get it fixed, but then ended up adopting it officially. Um, or if it's just a cat that, um, you know, is, is very close to a neighbor down the street who would rather that you didn't take it away from them. 
Right. I, I remember one story. This was actually an owned cat, but one of my clients had told me that she, she told me one time, she goes, I lost my cat. You know, I, I don't know what happened to him. You know, he comes and goes, he's an indoor outdoor cat. And then, Mm -hmm. um, one summer he just disappeared. And then we were talking a little while later and she said the weirdest thing happened. She said, um, you know, fall rolled around and, um, my, my cat showed up again and it Mm -hmm. turned out that her neighbor um, did not know that this lady owned this cat and was taking it with her up North when she would go back to her home in the summertime and then bring it back to Florida in the winter. And, uh, (laughs) so these two people were sharing this cat, but they didn't realize that, uh, each of them thought that Mm -hmm. they were the rightful owner of this particular cat. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, happens all the time. Yeah, so that was a pretty good story. Okay, so there's um, some other um, acronyms that we use in the uh, trap, neuter, return community. Um, What does RTS mean? Uh, RTS means return to field, um, and that is something that is typically used by a shelter program. Um, So uh, there's TNR and there's SNR, and SNR is shelter, neuter, return, Um, And shelter, neuter, return, and RTF are um, almost interchangeable in some ways. So if you shelter, neuter, return a cat, it means that you take it to a shelter, it gets fixed there, and then it gets returned to the location where it was found. Um, Similar to just like you were using a program like ours, that's a spay, neuter, um, clinic type thing, but it's using a shelter as opposed to, um, you know, any other kind of clinic. Okay. And then um, a lot of the shelters these days are using RTF as a, as a program. They call it an RTF program um, to indicate that cats that are brought in um, as strays and considered unowned, um, they have no microchip, they have no um, collar or any other identifier to show that they're an owned cat, Um, they would be fixed and returned to where they were living um, for two reasons. One is that um, it's quite likely that they are actually a free roaming community cat and don't have a home. Um, another is that they they do have a home and they are an owned cat, um, but that a cat is much more likely to find its way home by being put back in the area where it was found and mm-hmm. removed from than it would sitting in a shelter um, where people, especially if they let their cats in and out, um, don't go looking for them. Right. Um, it's, it's very common for people like the story you just told, um, you know, the cat, I don't know what happened to the cat. It just isn't around anymore or it, it comes and goes. And in many places where those cats kind of have an expiration date from the moment that they enter the shelter, um, instead of three days later, the cat's now euthanized. Um, and by now the owner's actually worried and searching for the cat. Um, Instead, the cat gets returned to the field, and typically um, the statistics are that they're 13 times more likely to find their way home on their own than they are to go to a shelter. Um, The reclamation rate in our community is about 2%, and that's pretty typical around the country. Um, It's just the kind of thing where people just don't look at a shelter either in time or at all in order to reclaim their cats. 
Well, I can, I guess I can understand that because there would be some people who may not even notice really that their cat is missing for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Especially if they tend to be a little more on the shy side. Um, Cause I've certainly had um, barn cats that, you know, you didn't see them for a couple of days and then they're right back. And um, mm-hmm. you don't know if they went on vacation or if they were just didn't happen to be around when you were around. Um, so that's interesting. Okay. Those are, those are good terms for us to know. Do you know what the average lifespan of a community cat is? I don't, I don't have that data. Okay. I just, that just crossed my mind as, as something that might be curious, um, as to how long cats kind of survive in the wild. Um, I think we all kind of are aware, and you've alluded to this, that cats really have um, almost like a built-in GPS locator. I mean, they know where they live, and when you move from one house to another, you kind of have to go through this resetting of their GPS process. Yes, absolutely. Um, relocating a cat, um, just simply putting it in one, one new place, uh, the cat will try to go home. And if it's, you know, we've seen stories on the news of cats that travel long, long distances, but it's not unusual for a cat to find its way home within five miles um, of where it's been. And we typically estimate that a cat that is fixed um, has a territory of about a half mile in every direction um, and a larger territory if they're not fixed because they have a greater need for trying to find food. Um, males have a desire to roam and find females. Um, so it's not unusual for the cats to cross large distances and find their way back from those large distances. But um, it's also something where we definitely try and make things easy on a cat that has been taken from their home to find their way back very quickly. Right. Um, well, and I have two indoor cats at the moment, so they are cats that will never be, you know, community cats or even indoor outdoor cats. They're just, Mm -hmm. they're house cats. Um, although they have a a cat porch, so they get to go out onto their porch anytime they want. So they get to be kind of out in the weather and see what's going on out in the yard and, Mm-hmm. observe the dogs and I even found a uh, dead baby snake in their mm-hmm. um, in their enclosure the other day so they were uh, mm-hmm. still doing what cats do which is stalking yes. killing little things um, but no it's great to be able to have um, the cats indoors and I don't currently have any barn cats so I'm sure somebody will probably hear about this and call me um, <laughs> So they'll, they'll want me to have one for sure. So, all right, yeah. we're talking about community cats. We talked about feral cats as behave, being more of a behavior and not necessarily um, uh, a categorization for cats. Um, what's a working cat? So a working cat is a term that's synonymous with a barn cat. Okay. Um, but the culture now is to call them a working cat because um, in getting more and more creative with placing cats through um, adoption programs, um, some cats are suited for that, you know, barn cat type personality. They're really independent and aloof and they're not interested in being anybody's lap cat. 
Um, but they would do just fine in uh, locations such as a business, um, a nursery, uh, a warehouse, um, and trying to expand that term to just say that the cat is a working cat and is supposed to be doing a job. So whether that's pest control, um, just having that sort of cat-friendly ambiance around the place, um, or in some places it's being a, a greeter for clients and customers. Um, that's what we're calling a working cat these days. And these working cat programs are just growing all over the country where, you know, when we're talking about getting communities to be no kill um, and to have high save rates, the animals that are dying in shelters are, are largely cats and largely unsocialized feral cats. Um, and so in most cases, it's, it's best to put the cat back where it was found, of course, but um, when you can't do that, whether you don't have accurate information that determines where the cat belongs, um, if the cat's life is being threatened or their environment is changing in a way that it's not safe for them to be there, um, certain communities, and ours is one, um, we have a, a live outcome for them, and that's relocation through a working cat program to a home where somebody is dedicated to be their caregiver and provide them with food, water, and shelter. Um, and they, they don't, it doesn't matter to them whether the cat is super friendly or loves cuddles and being picked up. Um, so they're not going to um, get cats from traditional adoption um, locations, um, the rescues, um, places that are typically also restricting their um, customers to get uh, indoor only and provide indoor only homes. Um, so it, it kind of helps keep those cats that are suited for that um, in indoor homes and it gives that chance to the unsocialized cats to find a really great location to live safely. Um, I, I just love that as a solution for um, cats that may not be suited to be an indoor pet. Um, yes. Just, I mean, we can't make all cats indoor cats. They, there are just some that don't want to be. Um, one of the cats that I ended up with, he started out as an indoor cat, but he really was not cat friendly to other cats. Mm -hmm. And so he, but he was very dog friendly, believe it or not. Yeah. And um, <laughs> he got along great with my dogs, but he wanted to be outside um, yeah. all the time and lived very happily outside at my barn um, for his entire lifetime. Yeah, it's, it's great. Our, our program is, on track to place over 100 cats through the program this year. Um, it's kind of my baby at this at the organization's program. So I'm oh, very proud nice. that we do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you mentioned to me that you have four indoor cats, two working cats, and two dogs. Yes. Um, both of my working cats were adopted through the program. Um, my very first a community cat that I, I really interacted with was one at the apartment complex that I lived in. And she was a cat that, you know, just came and went. You couldn't pet her, couldn't even touch her, couldn't get within five feet of her. But I started leaving some food out. Um, and over the course of about two years, she basically spent every day at my place. She was always in the bushes. She was always under the stairs. Um, and so when we 
my husband and I bought a house and we moved out to this beautiful property with woods and five acres of land. Um, I said, if, if I can, if I can get to the point where I can pick her up and her name was Clementine. I said, if I can pick up Clementine, we're going to take her, we're going to acclimate her. Um, and so the process for that, um, I was able to, to pick her up and put her in a, in a carrier. And when we relocated, what that meant was she needed to be kept in a dog crate, um, a large one, the 42 or 48 inch size is what we use. Um, and they stay in there for about two weeks and that helps reset that internal GPS of theirs. Um, it keeps them from wanting to instinctively go home. Um, it allows them to see, hear, and smell all aspects of their new environment so that they um, adopt that as the new location. Um, and she'd already bonded to me, so she knew me very well. But for our other adopters, that's the time that we ask them to really make the effort to talk to the cats and feed them really tasty food so that they can bond and get used to them. Um, and because cats like that do well in groups with other cats, um, it was important that we got a pair. Um, and so we had two working cats um, and they, they, they love it. They love the property. Um, I was very happy to be able to get this cat that I grew so bonded with to um, this beautiful space where she wasn't sitting on a road or a sidewalk every day. Um, and I always told people it's, you know, it's very, um, the, the choice to relocate a cat has a lot to do with the cat itself. It has a lot to do with the location you're relocating to. Um, if, if she had been at my place, you know, maybe only three days a week, someone else has taken care of her more than me. And so it wouldn't be fair for me to, to relocate her. But given that it was a seven days a week morning and evening, this cat is here waiting for me. Um, I felt pretty confident about being able to acclimate her to a new place and have her feel comfortable with that. Sure. And how does she do with your dogs? Um, <laughs> she did fine. Um, our, my dogs are young. They're both only about a year old and one of them is 91 pounds of play and excitement. So the dogs get a little crazy, um, with those, uh, the, the community cats, the working cats are always a little bit more skittish, but my cat, my dogs do love cats and they get along great with, um, the more confident of the cats. Right. That's what I always say is you have to have a confident cat. Um, yes. so that they, they know that the dogs may not mean them any harm. I know that there are dogs that do mean cats harm, but, um, I have a whole household of dogs that love cats. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, and sometimes the cats don't realize that, you know, it's just love they're going to get and not really yes. attacked. And I have to tell my indoor kitties the same thing because my dogs will chase my cats inside my cat. the house, but I just try to say to them, Hey, cats just walk if you walk yeah. they will chase you <laughs> but they make it a game and i have this wonderful loft in my house and the cats have a uh, a set of stair steps that they can run up to to get up to the loft and um i think it's as much a game for them as it is for the dogs mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's always it's always fun that way um 
So uh, Operation Catnip is a not-for-profit organization. So you are yes. looking for volunteers. You are looking for donations. Um, yes. What's the best way for people to um, reach out to your organization? Um, email's the best. Our email is info at ocgainesville.org. Um, and that is um, the best way to get a hold of us. Um, we schedule clinics that way. Um, we get set up with volunteers. Um, and we typically have, um, we're open to the public on Saturdays from 9 to 1. Um, so that's kind of the time that we loan traps out to caregivers. Um, we uh, will give out food if we have some that's donated and we can share. Um, and we just like to be a resource for people. So those that have questions or um, need help or are adopting through our program, um, everything kind of happens through that initial email and then we get set up with um, in-person communications from there. That's great. Okay, so I'm just going to say it again so folks have it. OCGainesville.org, that's their website, mm -hmm. or info at OC, um, as in Operation Catnip, Gainesville.org. Um, and so we are talking about Gainesville, Florida, and not Gainesville somewhere else. Um, <laughs> so um, on a nationwide basis, there are a lot of organizations that are trying to improve the life of community cats and um, TNR programs and um, just trying to reduce the number of cats that are in shelters to begin with. Um, I remember when I was much younger but serving on the board of a local um, animal shelter, just the numbers of cats that were euthanized was staggering. Yes. Um, so we're definitely trying to get that down. Um, and if you view, if you have uh, sterilized more than fifty thousand cats over the years, um, that number times the potential number of kittens that could be reproduced from a single cat, that number is really astronomical, isn't it? It is. Um, we we it's the science of counting cats is is very tricky, and it's one that is currently still evolving. Um, right now there's the DC cat count is going on. That's a three-year initiative that combines cat experts and wildlife experts to, um, to count actually how many cats are typically in a given area. Um, and so while we can't necessarily come up with a, a, an accurate and perfect number on how many cats there are, what we can do is look at um, what are the numbers of cats that are dying in our shelters? Um, because uh, as you said, those numbers can be very large and those numbers are very um, common across the board when you're trying to solve the um, issue of how do we get to no kill? How do we get to the point where we have a save rate of over 90%? Um, you got to look at your cats. Um, your underage kittens, your bottle babies that are coming into shelters, those typically don't have live outcomes. And your feral cats don't always have live outcomes. So trying to find solutions, um, it, it's all very heavily impacted by an organization's ability to manage cats that are coming from outside. Um, those are the ones that are reproducing and making your kittens. 
And those are the ones that aren't being touched by humans and aren't adoptable. So it's in every shelter, every rescue's best interest to research what can they do to help get your community cat numbers and your um, your kitten numbers, um, you know, get live release rates for those. And that's what's going to help your your numbers skyrocket in the other direction. Um, yes. And even for folks, though, I know that this issue has come up recently. And, and since I like to talk about estate planning and pets, because I, I don't want any person to ever become disabled or die and not have a plan for their pet. Um, I know that folks that are involved in the community cat um, area where they're feeding 10 or 15 or 20 or maybe even more cats on a regular basis, um, they've expressed a genuine concern about what happens to these cat colonies if something happens to them. Absolutely. Um, it's something that is is always a, a an organization like ours that's kind of a struggle because you know we focus heavily and our mission focuses heavily on spay neuter um that's what most of our staff is dedicated to um and while we do um strive and advocate for cats and try to do everything we can to be that support system um, there aren't a lot of resources for what do I do if I can't take care of these cats that uh, I don't necessarily even count as, as owning. Um, and so there's different things. We actually, it's, it's funny, this week we actually um, made some rebranding to a Facebook group that we have. It was originally called OC as in Operation Catnip. Um, OC squad and it was kind of a way for us to communicate with um, our rescue partners and volunteers and supporters but we kind of realized the group was was really just crickets and not a whole lot was happening with engagement and so we rebranded the group to be Gainesville Community Cats and our our hope is that um, the group is going to become more of a resource for people who have questions um, or who might need some help, um, including, hey, I'm going on vacation next week and I feed these cats at this address. Anyone out here willing to go put some food out in the morning for my cats? Um, and we've had, you know, several caregivers who we've worked with to try and find help and assistance for that. Um, and so far, that's it's only been about a week of that, but the group is very, um, very much more active than it was. And people are really getting into that, that community where there aren't a whole lot of um, organizations or systematic um, places to turn where you can say, oh, if I'm gone, this is exactly what's going to happen to these cats. But you kind of have to rely on on the community and that's that's where they're community cats they're um they're not owned by you and the world is full of people with really good hearts and we kind of have this ability to network and map out areas and try and find some help for those people who are very dedicated to the cats but who aren't necessarily you know owning them and putting, bringing them into their homes. Right. I think that sounds like a great idea. So um, in case somebody's listening and they are thinking, well, you know, part of, 
part of this cat problem is we just need more cat sanctuaries. Um, you know, places where a large number of cats can go and live. Um, I know the answer is not necessarily a sanctuary because those situations can turn um, into hoarding or other negative outcomes. Yes. yes, very quickly. So talk about that a little bit because I know you have posted on your site some uh cases uh, across the United States where there's not just, you know, 10 or 20 or 50 cats, but hundreds of cats in a sanctuary yeah. situation that really the people just got in over their heads. Yeah. Um, and the thing about, um, you know, those kinds of situations and, and hoarding type situations in general is that it, it usually starts with a very big heart. Um, and a person that's very compassionate, um, but who just like you said, gets in over their heads. Um, and so it's important to have that ability to control what you're saying yes to. Um, and and that, that can be hard and it can, for a, a rescue or a sanctuary, it can mean that you are not the live outcome for that animal. Um, and so I think that that's something that is a realistic part of running a rescue and, and running a sanctuary is that there are times where you just cannot say yes, because the other animals in your care that you have already committed to will suffer. Um, and the thing with a sanctuary is that typically things don't leave. Um, so you have a, a set number, uh, a set capacity of animals. And once that um, once that number hits uh, its threshold, you, you kind of have to say no, and that's hard for people. Um, it's hard to say that we're dedicated to providing this sanctuary, but now and for the foreseeable future, we have to say no. Um, and so that kind of can definitely spiral out of control quickly. Um, and so we don't really recommend sanctuaries for cats. Um, as long as, as cats are um, happy, healthy, in good body condition, you know, those are indicators that where they're living, they're, they're being taken care of. Um, and whether they have four walls around them, um, it, it, it's not necessarily the time in our history where we can say that we can give that to every single cat. And so being able to say that this cat has a good life with food, water, shelter, um, and the care of at least one person, um, most of the time multiple, um, that's a good outcome. And you don't need to put four walls around that cat to be able to say that it has a good life. Right. Right. Well, I am so happy for everything that Operation Catnip is doing on behalf of community cats and working cats. Who knew? Um, I'm always I'm always happy to learn something new, and I think that that's awesome. And so we thank you, and we thank Dr. Levy, and and everybody who's um, working at Operation Catnip or working at um, cat organizations across the United States, trying to um, reduce the um, the population of unknown cats, but taking care of those cats that we can. Yes. So thank you. Thank you, Melissa Jenkins, um, Program Coordinator at Operation Catnip in Gainesville. And you can find more information about them at ocgainesville.org. 
You are listening to All My Children Wear Fur Coats. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt. I try to join you each and every week with somebody interesting like Melissa that can tell us about something that we didn't know about with regard to animals, but that will ultimately make the life of animals better. So we hope that you will join us every week and you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter and on YouTube and um, all of those relevant places. And we hope that you will also visit us at Animal Care Trust USA. And until there are none, folks, please adopt one. And as they say, right, Melissa, spay and neuter your pets. Yep. Got to do it. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. You too. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye. Thank you to everyone listening to All My Children Wear Fur Coats. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt. Happy tales.